0: So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters Podcast, episode number three Business and Leadership with Irene Bean. Welcome to the NP Business Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and the Clinician Business Institute, where we provide education resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to invite you to do two things. First, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you are subscribed. Secondly, plan to visit npbusiness.com for show notes and all the resources and links that you'll find in today's episode. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Irene Bean. Irene is a family nurse practitioner and a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner who practices in Nashville, Tennessee. She is also the founder of the Tennessee Nurse Practitioner Association. She's a business owner and is a fellow in the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. In the years that I've known Irene, I've watched her develop from a nurse practitioner who is busy doing her work, seeing her patients, to becoming a state and national leader, a voice for nurse practitioners, a voice for those of us who aren't always being heard. Now, at the time of this recording, the late September 2020, you may be aware of issues that have gripped our country this past summer on racial inequalities Healthcare disparities, and a general unrest. Irene has taken a lead in bringing together nurse practitioners to talk about what we can do as a community in supporting one another, as well as supporting our patients and communities that we live in, in a series of webinars that you'll hear us talk about briefly at the end of our time here together. I want to encourage you to follow Irene to get involved in some of these webinars. And if you are in Tennessee and are not yet part of the Tennessee Nurse Practitioner Association, my only question is, why not? That is one state organization that I have seen grow. I have seen it be supportive of its members. I have seen dynamic programs coming out of Tennessee. And I absolutely love the fact that Irene is supporting nurse practitioners in her state and, if you will, is growing more leaders. I encourage you to head over again to the blog at npbusiness.com where you'll find the show notes, links to the resources that we discussed and more. So now let's get started. Irene, I'm really glad you're here today. So I know that there's so many things for us to talk about, and I want to start with you having a practice there in Nashville, because you've done many, many things with your practice and grown it quite successfully. So do you want to talk a little bit about perhaps how you got started in your practice?
1: Sure. So I started my practice in 2008, and... When I started, I had worked for two physicians. And with those physicians, I was actually being um, groomed to be the office manager slash nurse practitioner slash supplier slash slash. And so with all of these um, uh, tasks, which were assigned to me, I actually took those um, contacts that I had from those previous employers, and I utilized those to my benefit. So what happened, I started out as a family nurse practitioner, and in my previous employment, I was seeing 35 to 40 patients per day, and I thought that that was unsafe and figured that I needed to get out and not only protect the patients, but protect me as well. So I started this business. Um, It was so interesting. I started with nothing in my practice. And then I began to get more and more um, furniture and supplies and things that you needed to start a business. And I actually opened the practice on August the 1st. And I figured that, you know, some of the patients would follow me because in Tennessee we didn't have a no-compete clause. So I was able to give some of my patients my uh, information. And so as we opened the business, to my surprise, we had 10 patients on the first day. I was so excited. So I thought, wow! So this is what I need to do, and and it was it was interesting that when I started on that first day with those ten patients, I was extremely comfortable because I had the experience of what it took to open a practice. You have to start with a plan, and so I had planned and I had anticipated leaving, but not as quickly as I did. So in my in my business plan. There were items that I needed to secure some money to open this business. And in actuality, I didn't need all of that. I didn't need as much as I thought Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in my business plan. And sometimes when you're doing your business plan, you're going to overthink so many things about what you need in your practice because you really don't have anything to judge what you need in your practice by except for where you've been employed previously Mm -hmm. or from other nurse practitioner or physician practices. So you look at their practice and you develop and you begin to think that you need all of these things to start your practice when in fact you don't need everything that's on your list, but have a plan. And that's yes. basically what happened with me. I had a twenty five thousand dollar budget, and I had a hundred and fifty thousand dollar plan. So I had to meet in the middle of what I really needed at the uh, at the on the day that I opened versus what I really, my emergency or my necessities for that particular time, mm-hmm. yeah. and so. Once I started uh, this practice, again, I started with 10, and I'm up to, I don't know, probably 25 patients per day because I don't want to be overwhelmed. What I've done is I started with family practice, then I added uh, a weight loss component, Five, six years later, I decided that I needed to add a site component to make it a holistic practice. So I want to be able to see the patient for all of their needs, because I don't want them to fall into a gap where I have to refer them to other providers for care that may take four to six months. And that's basically what I was finding with my patients who needed uh, behavioral health services. Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: would refer the patient and it would take them four to six months. By that time, those patients have fallen into the gap. They're still coming to me for the psychiatric or mental health behavior uh, component, as well as the family component. And in the meantime, if I'm treating that patient, By the time they get to um, a a behavioral health clinic, they're either stable or they have lost interest in going to see other providers. Because we have to remember that with um, behavioral health patients, they do not like to repeat their stories over and over and over again. And so they kind of get lost in the shuffle of of, um, the referrals. And that's not where I wanted them to be. So now... That I have grown my practice and it has been integrated with the uh, different components of family medical care, psychiatric uh, care, weight loss, IV therapy. With those components, I'm able to offer the patients everything they need under one roof and that way they don't have to uh, depend on going from place to place, because mm-hmm. it's really difficult for those patients.
0: It is. And what I'm hearing from, I mean, there's such a, a deficit in the number of people who are able, able to offer behavioral health. And so I'm seeing more and more FNPs go back um, to add this credential so that they can offer that full array of services.
1: That's true. That is really true. Um, I am actually um, precepting nurse practitioners who have returned. And then there are other nurse practitioners who don't feel the need to return because they feel that they can offer those services. And I'm not sure if you want to dive into this uh, aspect (laughs) of it, Barbara, because what we're finding is that we're seeing nurse practitioners who are actually treating psychiatric uh, patients or mental health patients, and they aren't certified with that with the um, skills to treat those patients. Now, if it's something that we need to that they could actually do immediately, general depression, if there's such thing and generalized anxiety disorders. They can actually stabilize those patients and refer them out to a nurse practitioner, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, a psychiatrist, a therapist, because a lot of times when we're treating those patients and we tend to think that they have these generalized disorders, and it could be that you give them a medication which triggers something totally different. If they have bipolar, schizophrenia, PTSD, how are you going to um, accommodate those patients other than referring them to a provider who actually has those credentials? So what I say to our student psychiatric nurse practitioners is to just be mindful of the patient that you're treating because they are extremely sensitive to different people and you have to be mindful that sometimes they're happy today and that something else can happen on tomorrow. So as a provider, if you trigger something uh, with their mental disorders, then you're liable for that patient. So, you know, just really be careful with what you're doing. And I know that a lot of the mental health uh, facilities are are overwhelmed with patients and, and, you know, they need some reprieve and as providers, we do as much as we can, but when we can't do it, then we have to know when to say no.
0: And, and that's an excellent point. I mean, all of us should be looking to our scope of practice and, you know, the truth of it is, is we do get basic, you know depression anxiety that sort of thing in our fnp programs mm-hmm. and for a long time and and not even just for a long time but certainly in my past but even today the need is so great that sometimes it has to start with the fnp mm-hmm. but we do need to know our limitations yeah. always whether it's psych or something else and be able to call on the the people that are credentialed in those areas the specialists in order to refer those patients out i mean that's just to me that's a given and i would hope that every healthcare provider and i don't care what your license is knows your limitations that's and good. knows when it's time to get help and and to me that's what collaborative practice is all about is that we know to reach out and work with those that have expertise in other areas Right, right. We don't need a law that says we have to have a collaborative <laughs> relationship, right. because all healthcare providers are collaborative.
1: Absolutely. So, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely agree with that, and and yeah. that's one of my
1: pet peeves is that, you know, this is a, you don't know when to refer a patient, so you have to have a collaborative provider to tell you that you need to refer a patient, and so I'm thinking. If you have to have someone to tell you to refer a patient out, then you shouldn't
0: practice. Yeah, there's there's other issues, very
1: many issues that that can occur because that's you know that that within itself takes on an entirely different frame of uh, of mindset for any provider. Mm
0: -hmm. Because Mm
1: -hmm. I've referred patients to specialists who have referred those same patients. To different specialist. And so I'm thinking, I'm saying that we are all collaborating. We all know our limitations. And when it is outside of our scope, then we refer to someone who actually takes that information, takes that patient, and, and evaluates that patient and work them up to what it is that they actually need. But, you know, sometimes a patient can be referred from uh, a nurse practitioner, physician assistant, a physician to, let's say, an orthopedic specialist. So you refer this patient for a, a lumbago and the patient gets there and then they decide, you know, my knee has been hurting. And so this uh, the spine specialist says to the patient, well, I have to refer you to my partner because I don't treat knees. So there we are. We have a huge huge effect on who we refer our patients to and what you were right we collaborate on a daily Mm -hmm. basis because no one provider no matter what your title is no one provider can do it all and do it successfully
0: no this is a team sport this is not a solo act that for any of us Um, and I know certainly you know I had no qualms in picking up the phone and talking with the cardiologist talking with the neurologist mm-hmm. and those same providers would also refer people to me Absolutely. so it, it, it goes both ways but to back up a little bit about your practice I have mm-hmm. to just say this to you because I did not know about your startup date and and some of that my practice when I started my first primary care practice I opened August 1st as oh, well yeah. and I had eight patients on my books that first day. (laughs) So very, very similar. (laughs) So Irene, one of the things that I really want to get into with you, I have watched you for many years now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for instance, I saw you start up the Tennessee Nurse Practitioner Association. Yes. I saw you, in fact, I even was like, no, don't do this when you did your psych NP at the very same time you did the Duke Johnson and Johnson nurse leadership program. Yes. (laughs) letting
1: for punishment.
0: Yes, yes. And, you know, and it's just grown from there with the work that you've done with nurse practitioners, legislative issues, um, all the leadership stuff. Now a lot of um, activity around um, health uh, inequalities and diversity issues, that sort of thing. So I remember us talking (laughs) about where are you going and and what your goals were because i saw this growth years ago so how did you go from being the nurse practitioner that took care of your patients to being a leader in your state and 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 growing into a national leadership role as well because because that's happening now what was that mindset for you to take on leadership roles?
1: It was really odd. Actually, I've always felt as if I should be doing something, but I didn't really know what that something was. It was in, I think, um, 2009 or 10 that I had attended an AAMP conference. And... At the beginning of the conference, they show the different states their advocacy. Um, they have two state awards: one for advocacy and one for nurse practitioner of excellence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they also show you the um, nurse practitioner associations of each state. So I never saw Tennessee roll around when they were, you know, showing all of the states, and I said. I wonder why they skipped Tennessee. Didn't realize that we didn't have a um, state nurse practitioner association. We had some locals and we still have some local groups in different, you know, corners of of Tennessee. And I said, well, my, maybe it was a mistake. And so I asked a friend of mine, I asked him, uh, Stephen Ferreira. I said, well, you know, I knew he had some leadership abilities there, and he he was a state rep for New York. And I asked him, I said, well, why did they not show Tennessee? And he said, Tennessee doesn't have a state association. And I was taken back from that. I said, what? I said, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. He said, you guys don't have one. So I wasn't involved in anything other than being a nurse practitioner so that particular year i remember saying we have to do something and so i asked a few people and of course no one was really interested so i started uh thinking of a plan i said well we have to have a state association and from there it was 2013 when i started to put things into place um you know, trying to find out what we needed to do, who I needed to contact. So I had to get a tax ID number. I had to come up with the name of our group, of our association. And from there, I, you know, trying to put a board together and it was just like pulling teeth because no one was interested because everyone had their own little um, groups that they affiliated with. And you know, if you if you get a state association, then you'll pull people from here, there, and yonder. And so I'm trying to explain, well, you know, with a state association, this is your umbrella. This is, everyone falls up under this particular, but, you know, people weren't hearing that. And so I was like, I said to Stephen, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be harder than I thought. I thought it would be like a walk in the park, but nope. no. It was not a walk in the park. People were like, not interested. So I said, okay, if they're not interested, I'm interested. So you know the old saying, if 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 you, if what is it? If you build it, they'll come. So I, <laughs> no, <they> said, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, let's build this thing. <laughs> and so I literally took money out of my own account and started this from ground up. And so people... You know, I, I was advertising and so it was getting interesting and I was, you know, feeling really comfortable. And and then I start I was invited to um some meetings at the um capital, at our state capitol. And I was like, These meetings are so interesting, but these people are really not, you know, they really don't know what they're talking about because they don't practice and what they're saying does not occur in our practices. It was as if Nurse practitioners really couldn't put a Band-Aid on without, you know, someone holding their hand. And I was like, that's not true. It's like there's no way that a nurse practitioner can cannot think on their feet because most of us have worked in a hospital and we've worked in critical care and we've done all these things. And so I started talking to nurse practitioners and I was like, you know, we really need to do this or we really need to do that. And from there, Barbara, it it just kind of took off. And so it was as if people were like calling me and emailing me, texting me. Can you, you know, can you tell me about this? Can you talk about this? Can you do this? And so I was like, okay. So it was overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but I knew that if I sat and put my mind made, my mindset was right for leadership and I could guide people. And I can write policies, um, health policies, and I can talk to people about grassroots efforts. And from there, it was as if people began to notice that, hmm, she's really making this thing move. And so then um, I started becoming more involved, not only with our uh, state association, but also with our national AAMP. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, if I'm going to lead our state, then I need to know where we're going. So I need to have some guidance. I need to have people who I can call upon to literally help me make decisions for our state. Because still, I mean, we had this association, but people weren't, you know, just flopping to become members. They were flopping to ask for information. So there was a difference.
0: Yeah.
1: And so um, basically I started with AAMP and people who had a lot more knowledge than I did, they started giving me information as to, you know, you, you should think about doing this or that and having these different committees and not working as hard. But I felt that, you know, if I really wanted to know this association, the ins and outs of the association, the ins and outs of the people who were becoming members, then I would have to be involved. I can't sit back and allow people to do the work if I'm not going to be involved. So I just think that a good leader actually puts in the work themselves in helping their group. From there, it's been quite interesting because... I've learned who will work with you and I've learned who will work against you. Mm -hmm. But I've also learned people who are working in the background. They have a lot to say, but they're not doing, they're not saying anything. But those people have a lot of voice that people need to hear. And I know that didn't sound right. But what I'm saying is that I have encountered nurse practitioners who are amazing. Other people don't know them because they're so quiet. And I feel that a good leader who knows their group and knows those worker bees who are uh, standing in the background and not wanting to be seen, as a good leader, you bring those people to the forefront, you would be amazed of how many nurse practitioners working in the background need to be up front. We've had, um, for example, I have um, conferences, annual conferences for for our state association. Now, we know all of the national speakers who are used plentifully. They are used quite often. right? But then we have nurse practitioners who are not used at all. So what I've started doing for our conferences, we started looking at you know our national leaders who we know that people are really interested in seeing and hearing because they always have great information. They always have great sound bites. They have great workshops like you when you do do our business workshops. But then I have others who have not been seen or heard I have one young lady who actually has a pediatric sleep lab and I am using her for our conference, not using her, I'm bringing her in to our conference because she needs to be highlighted. I don't know of many nurse practitioners who have opened a pediatric sleep lab. I'm not sure about you, but there's only one who I know who have done this. Then I have another who is a nurse practitioner, but he is a nurse scientist who has also been around nationally, internationally, and as usual is usual is utilized with NIH. I mean, he is awesome, but these people, they don't speak out loud enough for others to see or know who they are. So... As a leader, that's what I want to do. I want to highlight those who are not being seen because they like to be in the background.
0: Have you read Seth Godin's book on tribes?
1: I have not.
0: This is exactly... Seth Seth Godin, for those that don't know, he's a business thought leader. Um, has been around for a lot of years. Uh, does a lot of work. If you just pull up his name, um, you will find, I don't even know how many books and TED Talks and, and whatnot that he has done. But in his book, Tribes, his whole idea of leadership is that leaders create leaders. Leaders sometimes follow those that they're mentoring, if you will. And that's exactly what you're doing bravo thank you <laughs> thank and you, thank you <laughs> yes yes and there's a lot of people who are in in leadership positions within our in in our NP world but you're right there are so many people that are kind of behind the scenes and they're quiet and maybe they do want to be heard they don't know how to be heard they need People like you who are going to say, Yes, come and speak and talk, and I will listen and we will get you going. I'm, for instance, working with somebody who has a specialty in working with the deaf community. That is information we all need. So, working with her to get her voice heard and to get it out there. And because all of, I mean, this is a totally underserved area that most practitioners don't even think about. Right. I think particularly for those of us that have some leadership capability, we have an obligation, mm-hmm. an obligation to start looking at who else is out here, mm-hmm. whose voices aren't being heard, who needs to, um, you know, in my case you know, I'm a little older than you. So in my case, who's the next generation that's going to come up behind?
1: Exactly.
0: And yeah, and, you know, we hear so much about, you know, that old, awful cliche about nurses eating their young. Well, I want us to start nurturing those that are coming behind us. And that's, you know, and I love it that you you do that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 just a part of what I wanted when I started. Yes, and I think that that's a lot of us. Um, we don't know who to reach out to, or you know, we're we're afraid to say that this is what I want to do. Where do I need to go? And you know, you you made a great point of saying um, nurses eat their own, which is which is horrible. Um. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we would take the energy that we have in tearing someone down and utilize that same energy to build each other up, do you know how amazing, how amazingly great our profession will be? Because we're not competing against one another. What we're here to do is to help to build on what we have. Because if right. we don't leave something for the next generation, where's our profession going? We mm-hmm. have to highlight those the, the the um the better part of our of our profession. And when I say that, I'm saying that just because you've made ten million dollars and I've made five hundred thousand dollars There's a grave difference between our income, but there's not a grave difference. There shouldn't be a grave difference in our education, in our work experience. If I'm lacking something, who can I reach out to and say, hey, listen, I want to learn how to read EKGs. I'm not good with that. And not have you to downgrade me and tell me that you should have learned that when you were a nurse. If I don't know it as a nurse practitioner, as a leader, you're right. As a leader, I'm obligated to teach that person what it is that they don't know. When they don't know and we don't bother to help them, what happens is that others say, others will look at us and say, this is not the profession that I want to be in. I'd rather do something else because you're not going to help me learn this and you're going to make me feel really horrible that I don't know how to do this. I mean, not everyone is a writer, not everyone is a speaker, not everyone um, can perform, you know, different procedures on patients, but we should all be willing to help an individual to learn what it is that they don't know for them to be better because if they're better the person that they that they educate on whatever aspect of nursing that that person may be lacking in, the better we become. We exactly. are our brothers' keepers.
0: Exactly, and the more as and I'm stealing this phrase from um, somebody out of my hypnosis community, mm-hmm. but <laughs> the the more we're all successful, the more we're all successful. Okay. It's really no brainer. But I, I, I want to also say, you know, I said about nurses eating their young. Mm-hmm. That is is not something that's just involved in in nursing. I have a good mm-hmm. friend who's an attorney and she says, oh, attorneys do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's a physician. Physicians do mm-hmm. the same thing. So it's it's something that's in people that has to stop. Yes. It, we we are all here And the more we're all successful, the more we're all successful, the more that we can better one another, the more that we'll be better all the way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So before we go, what, I I guess there's so many things I could ask you and, (laughs) and talk to you about Ivory. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's like, where do I go with this? But one of the things that I'd, I'd like you maybe to give a, a little input about is um, the Duke Johnson & Johnson Nurse Leadership Program. Now, I was a coach there and on their board um, for a while. I, I actually left my coaching duties this past year. Okay. Um, and But that's, I, I mean, it's such an excellent program in terms of Helping people become leaders. What would be the one thing that you think, or that you feel, that was most impactful about that program for you? And uh, and I'll also leave the links to that program for people that want to check it out.
1: The Duke Johnson Johnson program. What it allowed uh, me, for me, is that it helped to build my confidence when I went out to speak to leaders in our community who could help us with um, what we call full practice authority. And then full practice authority is basically in Tennessee, nurse practitioners have to have a collaborating physician um, for practices, for, for practice period. And what happens is that I was able to go to legislators' offices. I was trying to build support with physicians who actually supported nurse practitioners. And so this program basically gave you a map as to how and what you needed to say or what you needed to do to uh, encourage the support that you need. Because at, at the time that I was in the program, I was looking at um, nurse practitioners who gave quality health care, those who were in the rural areas, uh, nurse practitioners who offered a uh, lower lower co-pays or uh, for patients who was coming to visit them. Because we have lots of nurse practitioners in our rural area who were uh, trying to service their communities and they were unable to do so. And so in order for us to be a full service, um, for us to be full service providers, we have to have the ability to practice uh, to for us to practice and service the patients to our best ability, and so one of the barriers that we had is that those who were in the rural areas, there were no no physicians willing to go out into the rural areas to see those patients. So the nurse practitioners who were there, they weren't able to see those patients without having a collaborating physician. So it was a catch twenty two. So What I found in this program is that it allowed me to go to these uh, legislators and say, listen, we have nurse practitioners who are willing to give quality care to, to the patients and those to your constituents in those areas. We have nurse practitioners who are capable of doing these services without having to have a collaborating physician to help them with these services. Well, of course, you know, we're in... Tennessee, and it, it, it doesn't matter if you're capable, knowledgeable or not, you still have to have this this collaboration. So I was encouraged enough and I felt experienced enough to go to them and say that we have to change these rules. These are barriers for your constituents in the rural, in the rural areas. We have hospitals which are closing. But we still, and we still have patients or communities which are still not being treated by providers because of these barriers. And so, in doing so, we we actually were able to um, write a bill or to legislate on some bills. They weren't passed, but it still gave you that confidence to know that when. We have the um, capacity or the the network to go in to say that we have twelve thousand nurse practitioners to seven thousand physicians. So when we unite together and um, get something written for for our collaboration with each other, the nurse practitioners, then that will help us in the long run. And, and 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 that's what Duke did for me. It it actually gave me more confidence to to literally stand up and advocate for our nurse practitioners.
0: Excellent. I think it's such a, a valuable program and certainly we'll have all that information in the show notes for people who want to check it out. Mm-hmm. So I ring. Yes. I have so appreciated talking to you and you and I can do this for probably four or five hours. However, (laughs) in the interest of our voices and time, are there any last thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? Yes. One in particular,
1: you know, our country at this point is extremely divided. What I'd like to see and what I'd like to say is that as a healthcare professional and as healthcare professionals, we have to unite. We have to say no when we see that people are being wronged. We can't enable hatred in America. We can't be those who are hating in America. Our profession is one of compassion our profession is one of trust. And when patients cannot trust you, when your coworkers, co-laborers cannot trust you, when you're spewing hate among each other, among your patients, and people are seeing this, this is not what we're made of. We're better than that. And so as a leader, as a nurse practitioner, As a mother, as a healthcare worker, we have to say no when we know that someone is in the wrong. This is why we have diversity webinars. We talk about social injustice, and we're not just talking about one particular group, but we do rely heavily on what we see in our profession and how we can be better and how we can make our community better. And so these are the last words that I would like to say to each of you. And thank you so much for tuning in.
0: Irene, perfect. Thank you so much for those words. And where can people... Learn more about these webinars, more about the Tennessee Nurse Practitioner Association, um, or if they want to get a hold of you.
1: Okay, so if you would like to uh, talk to me or email me, you can email me at tnnpa at comcast.net. We also have a webpage, www. Dot tnnpa.com and I usually have links on there to where you can contact us on our social media pages. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So we have all these sites available for anyone who would like to contact me. Um, you can use any of those any of those social medias or other outlets that I that I name.
0: Thank you. And I will make sure that all of that is linked in the show notes so that people can find you. And I'll, I'll just tell people, um, you have got to be the Instagram, Facebook queen, Twitter <laughs> queen. <laughs> I wish to. I had enough energy as you did. <laughs> I do. I have to, I have to stay on
1: there because I have so, so I have my business on there. I have my personal, and then I have, social media i'm the uh tennessee state rep rep for aamp and so all of my business is on social media unfortunately but you know i make my business business but i don't put personal things on there so you won't find out a lot about me on social media but you can find me on social media (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Irene, thank you so very much for taking time out to be with us today. Thank you, Barbara, for inviting me. I want to thank Dr. Irene Bean for spending time with me today and talking about all the things that we've talked about from, from policy to nurse practitioner involvement to leadership to being a business owner. All of it is so important, and it's important to the development of nurse practitioners in general. I invite you to leave your comments and suggestions on our blog at npbusiness.com, again, where you'll find the links and resources to contact Irene. And finally, once again, this is Barbara C. Phillips nurse practitioner and founder of nurse practitioner business owner thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to us today and i look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the np business matters podcast bye-bye now